Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Claver, your host, and with me today are your two co-hosts, Wailu. Hey, Wai. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Hey, good. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year's. And Caleb Wells, happy New Year's to you. Hello, 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 hello. Happy New Year. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Did you guys have a good Christmas and New Year's? Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was good. I missed y'all. Yeah. You know, right? Yeah. A few weeks with without your company, you were missed. I think that was probably the longest break we've, we've had since we started doing the show. I think you're right. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think it would be weird for Christmas to be in the summer. Don't you think, Caleb? I guess. Never known any different. Well, I was going to say, I guess it depends on where you're <laughs> right or where you live because yeah if for us i think it would be weird but obviously in australia it'd probably be weird for it to be in the dead of winter right i remember when i was young i did have one one christmas in colorado where i spent i was living there for a little yeah. while and you know it was snowing and stuff i thought that was kind of weird for me <laughs> yeah so, so you can like never have a white christmas unless i move out of australia no. like, <laughs> well maybe you could like if a volcano or something erupted and covered everything in white ash, but that's not really a kind of a Christmas you would want, right? Yeah. Also, while I was missing you guys over Christmas, I was thinking, you know, which of, which one of you are from the South? That's a good question. We're both from the South. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm more South than you are, though. Just by, uh, right, a few thousand miles. <laughs> Several thousand. Just that much on the globe map. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. The heat here, though, I'm telling you. And we we've had some weather. It'd be no, we got we got we've had so much snow over the break. Here. Oh, really? So we had probably a little over two feet of snow out in the yard there, and it's still out there. You know, we, it's melted some in the past few days, so we're, we might be down to maybe a foot left. Mm. But yeah, it was it was ugly for a while there. Had to use my snow snowblower quite a bit. So everybody down here has a cold if it, if they don't have COVID because yeah, I'm just I'm just getting over a cold. Mm, but it's like it'll be 80 down here one day, and then two days later it's 30 degrees, and it's like, what are you doing? Just pick one. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I I had my cold, and of course he's like, what is it? What is it? So I went in and got tested right. and came out negative. Good, so, good. No COVID for me, so. I was actually kind of hoping it was because then if I did have it, I'd rather have it with, you know, that light of symptoms because all I had was a runny nose mm. and a cough. Yeah. But I guess not. So I guess that's good too. What about you? Why? How's, how's things in Australia COVID was? Oh, COVID is, we're getting smashed now. We're getting like 100,000 cases a day. Uh. Like that. So yeah, that's the other thing that changed, I guess, in the space of three weeks. Like we didn't have many cases and then Omicron came and now we're getting heaps so yeah we're a little bit worried about it in fact we had to cut my um we had a holiday to my folks house yeah. in adelaide and i had to cut it a little bit early just because we just weren't really that comfortable being um in my folks house just in case you know i went out and accidentally passed it on to them or right so we went back a little bit early right. yeah hopefully yeah i mean you guys are peaking as well right but apparently you know what's likely to happen is that it'll go up It'll peak at some stage and then, and then the case will go back down. But yeah, it's, it's basically out of control now in Australia. So you're dealing with that and then you're dealing with tennis controversy, all sorts of things. <laughs> you know, you, you. All right. So uh, I was going to say you signed one thing wrong and everything goes to, to heck in a handbasket. But <laughs> we, we like to be, we like our visitors vaccinated. Here, yes. So, like, I think we've got like 90%, yes. 95% vaccination rate. That's great. That is really good. Yeah. So on to a more fun subject, right, Sean? I think that's where you were going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's where I was trying to get there, trying to get to a tech topic. 
Wait. Something that our listeners actually tuned in for, you know? Yeah. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. For those of you who so, are tuning uh, in, I'm sorry you had to listen to the last five minutes, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Longest segue ever. All right. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Power Platform today. Where, where should we start? Why? I'll give it a bit an introduction about what, what the Power Platform thing is. If you got one, yeah. maybe. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Power Platform is kind of like, it's kind of like a marketing term these days. It's basically a conglomerate of like four products that Microsoft creates and it's to do with their kind of like the low code solution. So we've got like Power Virtual Agents, which I don't actually know too much about. Um, I haven't been working with this. It's basically their, their chatbot um, application platform. And then we've got Power BI, which is their business intelligence thing where you can design like pretty graphs and things like that, uh, which I think, Caleb, you've worked on. Yeah. I guess the thing, the main thing that I've been working on for, for at my work right now is Power Apps, which is kind of like their their solution to build build apps really quickly. It's basically like kind of like a modern version of like Access, uh, Microsoft Access, or, you know, like the, the old version, the old Windows form dragging and dropping thing. It's kind of like that. And then they've got Power Automate, which is kind of like a consumer version of uh, Azure Logic Apps, which kind of like allows you to do drag and drop, like I guess programming kind of thing, like kind of like a Microsoft version of what's that thing that if if this then that, so it allows you to integrate things really easily and things like that. So yeah, so it's, it's basically the thing that I've been working on for at my current job right now. And yeah, it's a start. I wasn't really that interested in it, you know, because it's kind of like like you know, low code. It's kind of it's very different to a traditional development, but um. But yeah, I think the more I've kind of dug into it, the more I've kind of been more and more like excited about it. You know, it kind of it kind of reminds me of the cloud when I first like discovered it. You know, like like I'm sure you guys have probably had the same thing. You know, like for me, like the, the biggest thing about the cloud was why it made it good was kind of like the potential to to increase just a single developer's like productivity by essentially abstracting dependencies. You know, like you know, I remembered when I first started going on the cloud, like. Before the cloud, like if you if you wanted to start a website, you'd have to like go and buy a server or go find somewhere with server, and then and then you'd have to like install the OS and then install SQL Server, and then and then you'd have to design the website, and then after that to maintain it, you'd need like a person to to do patching and things like that to make sure the security was the site was secure and things like that, you know. And and the cloud meant that a, a lot of that stuff was just abstract, and you didn't have to do that. And I feel like like at least with what Microsoft is trying to do a power platform. It's kind of like that, um, but it's kind of in this this time. It's actually more empowering, like business users, or, or at least more or less technical people. 
to, to, to build their own websites, but also actually, I mean, not so much to build their own websites, I reckon, but it's more to at least p- more easily participate in the software development process. And it kind of does it in a way that like, you can build these like websites really quickly. You can get to like 80% of, of a website really quickly. But if you have to be more complex, you can, you can essentially scale it so that then traditional devs can expand on, on that initial idea. So yeah, it's something that um, I feel, I feel like it's something to watch out for, you know, for in the, in the Microsoft space. So it's, uh, it's interesting. Are these cloud only type things? Yeah. Are these cloud only or is there local options? So, so with Power Platform basically came from, I guess, Dynamics, Dynamics mm-hmm. uh, and that was like a Dynamics CRM. That was like like an on-premise kind of like a CRM engine type thing. And Power Platform is kind of like their the cloud version of it. So, so yeah, there is there basically is an on-premise version that was bef- that that was made beforehand, and they're kind of moving everything to the cloud basically. And that's what Power Platform really is. It's uh, it's interesting. I actually know of a couple of low-code solutions. Right, there's several out there, and there's people that. Or companies that are trying to build them as kind of the the next or one of the possible next evolutions in development, right? But I feel like if a company is going to do it and is going to do it right, it's probably going to be Microsoft. Have you had a lot of pushback or friction with low code versus regular development? I think it definitely is a different mindset. I wouldn't say friction, but I would say that it's. I mean, I think there's two things. There's a different it. There, there are certain use cases where low code works, and then there's ones that is probably not so good right now. And then there's also the fact that Microsoft is kind of rapidly making changes to the Power Platform as well. Like this is a, this is a, I think they're investing a lot of money in trying to improve it and all that stuff. So things are constantly changing. But yeah, I think I think the, the biggest thing I found about low code was essentially like how 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 different it is to traditional development. And if you if you go into it, I mean, if you go into it as a tr- tr- traditional developer. And without changing your mindset, you'll probably fail. But at the same time, if you go into it with no technical skills at all and you, and you refuse to learn any technical skills, you're probably also going to fail as well. Yeah, okay. I think that the, the main difference, I, I reckon, if I had to sum it up, which is, but if you had, you had to sum it up, is that in a low-code solution or in a solution like Power Power Apps or Power Platform, you basically get you, you basically get 80% of the way there immediately. And and then you have that, you have that last 20% to... To, to finish your solution but so whether it fits in with your use case or not it's dependent on how well your use case fits into that that first 80 percent so very often a problem you might get is that um you might you know you might get this really fancy solution um straight up but then anything after that is is hard it's super hard to do like uh, it's one of those solutions where if it's not designed for it it's very hard to modify your application to actually make it fit it's right the, the whole 80 20 rule scares <laughs> me a little bit right because Typically, 20% of what you're going to have to do is going to take the majority of the time, 80% of the time. And if low code can get that first 80% faster and easier, and you can still do regular development in that last 20%, then I see it as a win-win. If you can't, right, if it abstracts it away too much and makes it more difficult to do what you need to do as far as level of complexity, that's where I, that's where I can see it not being a good uh, tool. Like you said, depending on how complex your your environment is yeah yeah like it, it's weird like i've, I've been because you know how i love doing certifications <laughs> i did this azure ones and i've been actually looking at doing the the power power platform ones as well and it's it's weird they've actually got a like a certification like it's actually a job that microsoft recommends to be a functional consultant which is from what i can see someone who 
is kind of like a step down from a developer. It's kind of like a half developer, half BA role. And their job is to just kind of know how the Power Platform, like all the rules and what stuff, um, and what and what what is a good use case for and what is a bad use case, and just work with the client to figure out whether building a Power App is, is, is the way to go, you know, or even within a Power App, um, which which module and all that stuff to use. So. So let's kind of go through them, I guess, one at a time and, and identify, you know, who who is the person that would use, you know, this, which application, uh, why they would use it, and then why you might not want to use it. Okay. So look, to be honest, I, I think the Power Platform right now is kind of more of a an enterprise-y type thing. Like, it's not really the type of project where, like, if, if you know, like, for me, like I've I've always kind of liked to build little hobby projects on the side and all that stuff. It's probably not something I'd do for for power apps, even though it is it's it's kind of weird. Even though it, it is it allows you to really it, it is actually almost like the perfect technology to, to to do something like that because you can build things so rapidly. But the licensing would just kill you basically. Like um, at the moment, the the licensing is really geared towards a an enterprise level kind of commitment. You know, we're talking like. You know, some some of the Dynamics 365 packages, we're talking like a hundred dollars per month per user type thing. You know, like you're not going to be able to, you know, have a little startup project that, that will cost that much, kind of thing. I think probably the and I actually told a project manager this the, the other day actually, I, like one of the project managers in my work actually we were talking about you know maybe moving one of their projects uh, and possibly using Power Apps, you know, just casually. And I I basically said to him like, if you want to know whether Power Apps is good for you, just just get me or some or someone else like me, so a developer or whatever. Um, give me two weeks, one or two weeks. I'll build you the the nastiest, quickest solution in Power Apps. You know, it doesn't matter how you know how how nice it looks, or whatever. And then after that two weeks, we'll, we'll know whether whether we'll be going on the right path or not. You know, and I think that's one of the things about Power Apps that and um, versus traditional development is that that ability to to do rapid prototyping. Like, like I said, you can get eighty percent of the way immediately. So that really allows business people to, to really participate. You can, you know, a lot of times like, a business person might say, you know what, I wouldn't mind trying this or that, and then I'll be like, yeah, you know, I'll just I'll just do it for you, and and it's just a matter of configuration, and I can turn it on and off. Um, at will type thing, so within reason, I guess. If it, if it is saying if it is a feature that is supported, so. So Power BI, I haven't worked with it at my current job, but my last job, right? I did a good deal of it, and like Y said, it ain't cheap. I think the project we were on, it was probably ten thousand dollars a month, something like that. I mean, it was it was a lot, but we were also using it heavily. But I mean, it is big data on steroids. It's it is Microsoft's. Right, way into to crunching a lot of numbers, you know, munching a lot of things and getting the graphs and charts and whatnot out. And there's a lot of power there, but there's also a pretty steep learning curve. And if you want to get the most out of it, you're going to probably end up using their data pipelines and synaptics and a bunch of other stuff, which which is where that cost comes in, right? The more features you use, the more functionality you're trying to get out of it, the more it's going to cost. I think another thing is not only is it expensive, licensing can be really complicated. Like I was at this Power Platform Solutions Architect course the other day, and yeah, like after like the third or fourth question, I'd, I'd asked about licensing because it was really nice thing. I think, especially in the cloud space, you really need to start thinking about costs up front, right? But it is he, the guy literally told me that you know, there's like if you want to be like a Microsoft partner to sell Power Platform, there's like a three or four day course 
just on how the licensing works. I mean, if that's your product and it takes three or four days to understand how the licensing works, it's too complicated, right? But there's, there's things like, like the, the licensing, like a, a normal user might have multiple licenses. You know, they might, they might have to have maybe just a standard Power Apps license, which is kind of cheapish kind of thing. But then they might use one of the Dynamics 365 modules, which is basically like these first, first party apps that they've built in, um, Power Platform so that, you know, that they might, they have a couple of them. They've got like a, like a customer service thing or a case management thing or, I can't remember the, yeah, the rest, but they're basically a more finished product that, that you can, you can use, um, if, if it does fit your use case, but those things cost a lot, a lot of money. But then on top of that, they, they, you might also have to pay licenses for Azure AD if you want, say, like the P1, P2 licenses for, um, for MFA, um, or, or conditional access or whatever, if, 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 if your security requires it. And then if you, if you've got integration with anything of Office 5, you know, if it's got Exchange online or SharePoint or something like that, because the Power Platform is very integrated with um, Office 5, then you got to, you might need license there as well. And then, and then maybe on top of that, you might have some Power Automate connectors, which are basically ways to connect Power Automate with other, other systems. Like you might have connected for, for, for Exchange. So, so you can automatically send out emails or, or maybe even, you know, other products like GitHub or something like that. They're, some of them have premium connectors and you have to pay for as well. So yeah, it starts to add up. And then there's not like a, there's not like a, you know, you know how Azure's got this nice little Azure calculator. You can just punch it all in. It doesn't have any of that um, in Power Platform, which I, I, I hope gets addressed basically. Cause I feel like when you're de- designing a solution in the cloud, thinking about cost is all stuff you need to think about up front. No. How has your team used Power Automate, or or have you? We've been using it mainly to to well, the Power Automate is basically a technology that allows you to to integrate things really really quickly. So you can you can create these things called flows, and these flows can run if you click on a button or something like that, or it can run you know at a scheduled time or some sort of trigger that that ha- that can trigger it, and then you can essentially drag and drop little steps to, that that can happen. Um, so you don't have to program i guess so you might it might be like so one one classic use case is, is notifications i guess that's that's what we've been um, using it for so if someone creates a task for instance in in a power app solution there'll be a trigger on in power automate that'll that'll listen to the, the database in, in power apps and go okay someone's created a task and then there'll be an extra step that says okay well let, let's send a notification to to that person or to, or to maybe to his team or something like that that that's i guess that's one use case we have as well um i think we've got some a lot of automated jobs that, that we've got like so like maybe once per day um a flow will run um that'll maybe collate a bunch of data and and put it into a report and things like that so yeah power automate um it's, it's one of those things like it's it is really easy to get started and it's I guess it's great for for integration because it is just dragging and dropping and stuff. And you know, like even when you're programming, drag uh, integration is kind of always a little bit iffy. You go find the right the, the right S- SDK and, and the right keys and all that stuff to, to to put into your code. Like this, this Power Data doesn't have any of that. So integration is really easily. If you do have something more complex, like more logic that's more complex, it, it does I guess support the ability to to I guess push your logic to a to an Azure function, I guess. That's probably the, the better way to do it, I think. So yeah, it's it's it's, it's another one of those eighty twenty things. Like um if, if all you want to do is, is, is simple stuff, it's really easy to do. But if you have to do more complicated stuff, then you can push that workload out to a to a program X solution. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build 
relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So how much of a developer do you have to be? Can it be somebody that's just good at Excel and 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 Word and maybe some old Access stuff? Or do you have to actually know how to write some code? Well, it's it's a, I mean, this is a tough question. I, I feel like it's, it's, it's a good question, to be honest. I feel like for that first 80%, you, you don't need to be a programmer at all. You can, I mean, honestly, you can just, you can just create a new environment and just have, have any of those Dynamics 365 solutions and you've got a, a pretty well-rounded product. The only problem is those products are generally not going to be, I mean, most of the time, like those products are not 100% fitting your the use case that, that you want. So there's going to be a little bit of, I guess, customization. Um, now, now, some of that customization can be done without needing to program at all. But I find eventually you're probably going to, you're probably going to need to know how to program or at least get someone in, in that does. But I think the advantage is being able to show, uh, being able to see things up front. Like, you know, I think that that's a, that's a really big advantage that people forget um, in a bespoke product. Like if you build a bespoke product, it might, depending on the methodology, like it might take you a while to actually have anything to show the client, you know? So yeah, like um, I have, I have often thought about this, this question actually. And I think one thing that I, I think that Microsoft maybe need to, uh, Power Platform might actually be an issue is something like Shadow IT being an, an issue in organizations, especially with Power Platform. Like, I don't, I don't know, like it's, it's probably not just a Power Platform problem, but so sh- Shadow IT is basically, I guess, IT solutions being built by, I guess, business people with, with no knowledge uh, or no technical knowledge, and they're generally you know, unsupported or they may be you know, insecure. But I, I often think that Shadow IT is kind of, it's not really a problem. It's actually more of a symptom of a problem. So, like, if, if you're if you work in an organization and there's a ton of shadow IT, more likely it's just because your IT is just not delivering the the solutions that they want. You know, you're never going to get a, a business person going. You know what? I'm going to take time out of my like core competency and build like a crappy little access database. They're usually only going to do that as last resort. Hmm. But yeah, I think Power 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 Platform, given how easy it is to create solutions, probably does facilitate that shadow IT thing from kind of thing, at least encourage it. And um, I'm, I'm not sure what the solution is, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I've, maybe as the product gets more mature, it'll it'll make it easier to, to not do that kind of stuff or, or, to, or to manage what people can actually do. But um, mm. Yeah, I can see that being a problem. Someone creates kind of like you used to with Access, right? You could, you could get to know Access well enough to where you could basically build your own app with it, so to speak. But then you run into issues and you bring in a developer and you're like hey can you can you fix this for me or can you take this over and then you're like holy heck what is what did you do <laughs> right yeah exactly i do have a question since we've seen that everywhere go ahead no, i just said we've seen that everywhere place but you asked your question so my question actually has to do with like the design and the look and feel of these power apps i know you said you could throw something together but how involved do you have to be from the UI side and, and making it look good? Or does Power Apps handle a lot of that for you? So you don't really have to be you don't really have to be involved at all in, in, in the in the front end side unless you're customizing. Like um out of the box, it'll it'll basically it'll basically do a lot of the stuff. It and also depends on which level of that. So I might just talk so basically with power apps, there's 
three types of power apps. And I think Microsoft's intention is that they're going to eventually combine it all into one. But at, at, at this stage, it's basically three. So there's, there's what they call a model-driven app. And this is the simplest. It's essentially, it'll basically just take the data scheme that you have in your, in your, um, in your database, which is called Dataverse, and it'll just create that app for you. And it will add all the views and all the forms and all that stuff that, that, that you might need. And, and then you can customize it later, but that's, it's generally a good base to start from. And with, with something like that, there's, there's very little you can, you can do to, to customize it from a UI point of view. You can add a bit of CSS if you wanted to, um, to, to make things look a little bit prettier, or you can use some, you can, you can add your own bespoke JavaScript, um, to add some logic and all that stuff. But there's, there's really not that much you can really do. But then we've got the Canvas app, which is kind of like, like a web version of that Windows form dragging and dropping thing that you used to do in Visual Studio. I mean, even then, you, you don't really have to do know a lot of programmatic stuff. You can still use JavaScript and you can still use CSS and, and things like that. And you can use you know, C Sharp in the back end to, to drive some business logic. But but with Canvas app, it I guess it, it gives you a little bit more freedom to to stick stick buttons where you want to when and, and things like that. But then you got to design it yourself. And I guess that bit you do have to think about the UI a little bit, but probably not from a technical point of view. Just more for uh, is the user going to know where the button, uh, what this button does, and things like that. And then and then lastly, you got the portal. And I think the portal is kind of like the external facing solution that they've got. And I think that that's kind of like a like, that's kind of more like a Canvas app as well, but it's more for external facing. And I think that gives you a little bit more, I guess, power to to customize things. So. Yeah, so well, well, did you ask me a question? I can't remember the question. No, that, that was it. How involved can you or do you need to get involved in, in design? And it sounds like it's fairly limited. It's it's more they handle it and you don't need to get super involved in that area. You did mention the difference between like Portal, which is external, and Canvas and Model, which I guess is internal. Do you actually see a lot of benefit or cost benefit of creating an external app outside of your application or outside of your your company using power apps i think there's a lot of licensing differences between a portal and and the the regular power apps solution okay. so and in fact I, I keep saying that power App platform is more of a an enterprise type solution but like, there's actually a lot of um, government departments that have actually implemented like power platform portals for their covid solutions so if for, for instance, you know, like, I don't know if you guys have it where you are, but every time we go anywhere now in Australia, you got to go and scan in and, and sign into to wherever you are kind of thing. And those solutions needed to be, uh, I, I don't know if the Australian solution is, is built using Power Platform, but I know other countries um, have, have used it. And, and it's just basically a, a really quick way for them to build this little website that people can use to, to scan in, basically. So, and, you know, like, if you if you have if you have a portal, then then the licensing because you don't want to pay per user that like, uses the power that that your your scanning thing or the government will go broke, right? So the portal generally has more kind of licensing advantages in, in that respect. So would this be something good to uh, create a, a proof of concept? You know, just something quick and easy to to mock up and show that things works, and then once they go, yeah, this is something we could use, then you actually you know build the full thing in Visual Studio and use all the tools available that way. Yes, yes and no, I reckon. That's, that's a good question, actually. Going back to like my, you know, like how I love to, to do startup stuff, I probably wouldn't use it for, for Power Apps to do a proof of concept just because I probably wouldn't have the time that, like, let's say I build a proof of concept and it, and it turns out that it's a, it's a cracker of an idea and I, I wouldn't just con- be able to continue building it in Power, Power Apps because I wouldn't be able to afford it. I'd have to rebuild it. So for me, it probably wouldn't be a, 
a, a great use case to build a to have a startup project be built in um, power apps. But for for an enterprise, I think it is, it is a perfect solution. And and like I explained before, you know, like I think the best thing you should the, the the most important thing you should do at the start of a project is to have that first two weeks of just a developer and maybe a business analyst or even just a, the business person sit in a room, build the nastiest solution you can you can just to validate whether the Power Platform is the right tool. Because if it's not, it's going to be a lot of hurt. And you really need to validate that. that. And after two weeks, you should you should know whether it, it's the right tool or not. Okay, cool. So um, what else do should we cover about this? Or is that uh, a good overview and good little discussion about Power Apps? Well, I might also mention that like you know, I'm a big fan of Power Platform. And I think there's, it has a future. But I do think that there are things that aren't perfect about it yet. And I, I think they will get solved in time. But yeah, like it's definitely not like a like a one case fits all type thing. Like um, it's not. It's definitely not something that you, that you that 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 will definitely solve every every problem kind of thing. It's it's something that you use strategically more than something that, that you you know like like for me like if if you know with my C sharps uh, experience or my you know Angular or whatever experience I I I do I'd always get that for any as my go to for any for most things right. Um, but this isn't something that I'd use for as my go-to. It's something that can definitely help you deliver something really quickly, but it it, it may not if, if if you've picked the wrong use case for it, kind of thing. Um, and and there are also some technical things that um features that um I think needs to need to improve, I guess. So cool. So I, I would probably say probably the biggest thing is probably like I feel like there there really isn't a great like AOM solution, like an application lifecycle management thing. Like you know how like with you know a bespoke product, like if if you if you build a C sharps you know application or, or or whatever, everything will be in source control and and you'll be able to migrate things really easily and things like that over to, to different environments. And it's all kind of fairly fairly transparent, right? Um, I think development software development has solved the whole the whole source control like the DevOps type the type thing. Um, Whereas, I mean, you can you can do it with Power Platform. We have we have we we have one click deployment where we work to, to to migrate to different environments and all that stuff. But it just it just doesn't work like perfectly, and I think it can be kind of improved. Like, um, it's kind of hard to have almost two two people working in the same solution, which means which which limits your ability to to scale. Really, you know, like co-offering can be actually be a bit of a bit of a problem. You kind of need to constantly communicate and things like that because uh, you're kind of both working in the same development environment. How you how you actually put things into source control can be a little bit more complicated. It can require a little bit of work. Um, you you got to decide um, how you can split your code up into solutions. Um, solutions is kind of like the the Visual Studio version of projects, I guess. Um, you know, of putting um, different um, putting in different logic into packages of work. You can kind of do that in Power Platform, but it's it can be it can be complicated, and you kind of have to do it. Strategically, a lot of people just put everything in, in the one solution, and then that might be that might actually be the, the best thing for most use cases. But but not everything can be solutionized. So like Caleb, with your Power BI stuff, Power BI isn't a solution aware thing, so you can't put your Power BI stuff in a in a Power Platform solution. So you'd have to think up new ways to do that kind of thing. And and then yeah, there's there's things that there's often Microsoft changes that leak into your source code. So so, for instance, because because Mark's, because Power Platform is on is a SaaS solution, a lot of the the Dynamics 365 modules are constantly updated in the background by Microsoft. So occasionally, you you try to check something in, and then you'll see all of these changes, um, and you'll be like, well, "What are these changes?" And it's just changes that Microsoft has made um, to 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 their base um, Dynamics module in in the background, you know, you know. So 
I mean, like it, it'd be the equivalent of like if you commit if you had to upgrade your your .NET solution from I don't know three point one to five or whatever, and then seeing a whole bunch of changes, you know, or like a uh, no modules, just, like adding your no modules folder to your source repo. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, source adding. Repo. Yeah, but the only difference is at least you can just ignore that. You know, right. Um, you can just you can ignore the node modules right. folder. Right. Right? You can't. You can't do that kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, so I think that there are things that they can definitely improve on, on in that space. You know. Okay. Cool. But but it it is exciting. I mean, look. Um, like it, it's 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 kind of like one of those things where that they really they're really trying to co- um, cater for for both, you know, that that traditional developer thing, and then also for that for the for the kind of that citizen developer side of thing. I don't know where it's going to go, but it's there's definitely going to be a lot of lot, lot of changes kind of thing. So, but yeah, I think I think one of one of the good things about I think Power Platform, I think, I think for me, it, it really kind of complements, I guess, the skill sets that I've I've, I've acquired over the mm. years. Like you know, because I've always been a a pretty I've been, you know, I've always been like you guys, like a pretty kind of hardcore developer, always pretty passionate about development kind of thing. But I guess with Power Platform, it does really like, like in, in my time as a developer, you know, I've mentioned this in other in other shows. I've all I've always spent time as a business analyst or a PM and things like that. I've, I've always kind of tried to look at different roles and what stuff. And I feel like with doing doing Power Power Platform stuff, you really do need to 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 to, to have more than just the um, technical knowledge. You really do need to have that ability to, to 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 work with the business and 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 things like that so i i feel like it's, it's that kind of like perfect medium where i can apply my technical skills but also apply kind of like my business analysts or, or even my pm um skills as well so you're the perfect person for this right you're the whole package, Hopefully. <laughs> the whole package. oh yeah well thanks why it's great great uh for you to to talk to us about uh, the power platform it was a good uh Good, good discussion. Thanks for all the information you provided. I think it's time to uh, move on to picks. What do you think? Sure. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. All right, uh, Caleb, why don't you go first? Okay. I don't think I've picked this before. If I have, forgive me. But my pick is uh, Google Stadia. And for those of you who don't know, that's their cloud gaming platform. It's been around for about two years now. It hasn't blown up like they thought it would, right? It has its own unique business model. But the reason why I've gotten back into it recently is, you know, I've gotten a couple of games on there like uh, Destiny 2 and Elder Scrolls Online for cheap, you know, 10, 15 bucks. I own those games outside of Stadia, but the but because of their nature, the PC data is shared. So instead of having to install a 100 gig game like Elder Scrolls Online on my PC and play it there in one location, I can actually take it on my laptop in the living room while my son's watching TV and play Elder Scrolls Online on the laptop through the browser. And so right now, it just, it kind of, it fits, fits my lifestyle. So my pick is Stadia. Are there a lot of like games in it right now? Just because I, I was looking, I've, when it first came out, I was like, yes, yeah, this, this is pretty cool kind of thing. But then, yeah, like you said, it kind of, it just got kind of got overhyped. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so is, it, is there more mature now? It is, uh, right? It's not like xCloud which is Microsoft still or Luna, which is Amazon's, where you pay a monthly fee and you get access to all the games, right? That's that's not how Stadia works. Stadia, it's free once you buy the games, 
You can also do a monthly membership and then you get a bunch of free games with it, but not their whole catalog. So as a Stadia membership user, you can claim games. They, they add so many free games every month. You claim those and then you can play them, but you can only access them as long as you're paying the subscription, just like xCloud and Luna. The difference is, right, you can purchase games outright and own them for, for forever. Well, as long as Stadia is up and running. So it's not perfect, and I don't know that the business model will be around in five years, but right now it's working for me, especially if you catch uh, catch a deal on one of the games and you don't have to do the membership, and then you're good to go. Cool. I don't know if it's available in Australia, but I'd, I'd give it a try. Yeah. So if it is, so. All right. What's your pick, Why? So this week, my pick isn't going to be like some consumer product or anything. It's actually going to be more of a shout-out to the James Webb Telescope. So it's those who don't know it's basically this like it's, it's this space telescope they've actually had to like they've got a, they've, it's actually in space somewhere and it's actually like the successor to the hubble telescope and it's actually like a hundred times more powerful i've been doing a little bit of research on it but i don't to be honest i don't know enough about the science but it's just it's all very very fascinating but apparently it can like it can like view things in the ultraviolet spectrum and it allows infrared, allow infrared. To, infrared okay yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. so yeah it, it can study uh exoplanets and things like that so I mean, it's going to be a few months. Uh, they've just launched and it's been successful, but it's going to be a few months, I think, before any images come in. But yeah, it's, it's very exciting times, I think. So yeah, I thought I'd, I'd, I'd stick a little YouTube um, video on, on about it um, as my pick this week. So Yeah, I think it's on its way to L2, so the Lagrange point that's uh, beyond the moon and things like that. So it's going to be out there. It's going to be out there. They think it can last for like 20 years on the fuel that, they, that it's got. So that's not too bad for... Well, they, they, I mean, a lot of the times, like they they say it'll last twenty years, and then it ends up lasting for like ages. Like the Voyager is like still like the, the two Voyager spacecraft is still just like sending data back, right? So yeah, different different fuel source, but uh, yeah. So they originally thought that was when they planned it, it was like only going to last ten years. But then I guess they were do, able to do some things, you know, during the launch. Launch went better than they thought it was going to be, so that allowed them to use less fuel. And now they say it can last twenty years, but of course. You know, with the Mars rovers, they were only supposed to last 90 days. I mean, I just find it amazing that they can do things like that. Like, I kind of, I kind of, I mean, I don't regret going into IT, but I I kind of wish I was like smart enough to be a rocket scientist sometimes. Like, (laughs) (laughs) very cool. You are smart enough, uh, why? You are. (laughs) So, uh, my pick this week is going to be a device or devices that I bought for Christmas. I do a lot of outdoor lighting during the Christmas season and programmable lights and things like that. And I used to have some of the just dumb lights hooked up to these little timers that just go on at at dusk and then stay on for six hours and then turn themselves off. And it's like, I wanted to find something a little better. So I went out and found these actually smart outdoor outlets. And so I actually can program them and everything right off my phone and activate the outlets and one of them has like three different outlets and I can set individual outlet to a different program and so on and so forth. So there's a company, it, it's called uh, BN Link and they make these things, but then they also make, you know, indoor timers, they make appliance outlets, smart accessories, string lights, lots of different things. So if you're interested in, uh, you know, some smart outlets that you can program and operate by your phone, definitely check these things out. Nice. I think the whole smart home thing is kind of addictive. So we might have you buying a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> <in the coming laughs> months. 
Yeah, definitely. And they they were affordable. I think it was somewhere like 30 or 40 bucks on some of these things. And I just got them off of Amazon. I'll put the link to the main company's website on, on the show notes. But uh, yeah, I just got them off Amazon. So if you want to do some, uh, yeah, that's some automation. Check these out. All right, guys. Thanks uh, for coming on and, and talking about these things and, and getting back together, put the band back together. There you go. It was nice. Get back in the swing of things. Yep. Sean, right. thanks very much. How can they get a hold of you, right? You get a hold of me. Yeah. How, uh, not not how can they reach out and touch you? I've, I've already done that. So one, long. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if our listeners want to want to give me some feedback and let us know uh, what we should do and what we cover, uh, some some topics you would like to see us talk about, let us know. You can get me on Twitter. I am at .net superhero. Dun, 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 dun. I've missed that. <laughs> and and I'm at Caleb Wells Coach. All right, great. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch everybody else in the next episode of Adventures in .net. Bye, y'all. See ya. Bye, all Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more.